Hello and welcome to Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. I'm your host, Pam Durant. Hi everyone. Today I'm speaking with Nick Glover, who has had type 1 diabetes for almost 30 years. He's also a double cancer survivor. He's an endurance athlete who reached a milestone as the first Manx-born Ultraman finisher in 2019. And also he was the second ever finisher of the Ironman. And he's done many, many other ultra ultra races, triathlons, and so and so much more, he'll which he'll share about during our discussion. He aspires to leave a legacy that's described as a non-judgmental support system that allows people to express themselves and achieve their true potential. He attempts to do this through a purpose of challenges that challenge the status quo in pursuit of progress. And he really is challenging the status quo through his sport and through also the messaging that he's putting out through what he does and what he's exemplifying. And I really enjoyed this discussion with Nick. I actually met him through another parent of a child with type 1 diabetes, and someone sent his link for his upcoming challenge and plans um, to her at work, and she forwarded it to me. And I thought it was just quite aspirational and quite a big challenge. And one thing that I can say since I started Diapoint and advocating for people with diabetes, that the more people that I meet with diabetes, the more inspirational things that they're doing. And it's just really unbelievable. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast so that we could hear those stories from those people themselves. Because it's one thing to go out and do an Ironman or an ultra challenge, and then throw in the the challenge of managing diabetes while doing that. It just adds so many extra variables to it. It's not impossible, as Nick proves to us, through the many things that he's done and the many other athletes that do this, but it is a challenge beyond challenges. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. So Nick, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I'm very excited to have you here. And I talked a little bit about your background, um, but why don't you tell us more about yourself because it's always good to hear the story from the person rather than me talk about it. Wow. A nice wide open question. Yes. Um, that I never know really where to start. So we'll start with, I'm 44. Well, actually I'm 43. Keep saying 44. I'm nearly 40, nearly 44. I'm 43, 44 in mm-hmm. November. I am a type one diabetic, also a double cancer survivor. I've lived in Dubai now for nearly uh, a year and a half, nearly two years. Um, the second time around, I've, I'm from a place called the Isle of Man, a tiny little island with a population of 80,000 in the middle of the Irish Sea. And I left to come to Dubai for the first time in 2009, uh, where I met my wife, who is a Kiwi. Um, and we moved to Singapore together, spent six years there before coming back to Dubai. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 14. Uh, it was October, whatever year that was, <laughs> long, long time ago now, 30 years, this, 30 years this year, I think it is. And when they diagnosed me in those days, I was admitted to hospital for two weeks. I I was given an orange and a bunch of hypodermic needles to practice on. Not sure that really an orange really replicates the skin when I think back, but (laughs) after all these years, but that's what they did in those days. And uh, yeah, then I was sent home. And the first piece of advice I was given was to test the hypo. So feel what it's like. So make myself go into hypoglycemia which we did. And I got to eat digestive biscuits and it was really good fun at the time. (laughs) I'm not sure I'd do it again now, but yeah, it's a brief summary of me. Yeah. Doctors, I've heard doctors say that what they used to do now, they don't do that to tell you to learn how to deal with a hypo and make yourself hypoglycemic, but they used to do it under medical supervision in the hospital so that parents and children could learn how to manage low blood sugars. 
which would be really frightening. Of course, the first time we had a hypo, we were outside the hospital and, you know, didn't know quite what to do and and different things like that. So it's changed a lot. And how, do you remember how it felt at at 14? Was it challenging or was it just really kind of matter of fact about it? And yeah, it, it, it depends on which way you look at it. So internally accepting it as this is life now was, was fine. It was matter of fact. You know, I actually said to my parents, does that mean I have to give, I, I can give up chocolate now? Because I was quite, I was quite, I was quite flumpy, let's call it, not fat, but I was kind of definitely a slightly porkier young boy. Um, although I did, although I played sport, uh, played football, I carried some, uh, some extra pounds and then I lost the weight. And then for some reason I thought, oh, chocolate's going to make the difference. I won't be allowed chocolate anymore. So I'll stop going to the sweetie shop. That didn't happen, but I accepted that this was it. This was what life was going to be like. Um, but the acceptance level in terms of actually sharing about the diabetes and helping other people understand where I was and how I felt never really, I didn't come to terms with that for a really long time, maybe 20 years, really, really long time. It took until probably I met my wife in 2009 to really start talking about it and sharing with people what it was like. Yeah. But until then I kind of felt you just don't need to know because then you might ask me questions (laughs) and then you might feel sorry for me and I don't want people to feel sorry for me and I never really grasped what how it could impact people done well um and I really only conceived the 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 negative implications that it had on me and the stigma that having an illness carries with it in the general scheme of things and was it one kind of event in general, or was it just meeting your wife and talking about it more and then realizing it over time? Or was there something that happened? Because sometimes people go through things and they think, wow, this can really help a lot of people if I share it. Yeah. uh, Actually, the wife part was more accepting just talking to close people that that are closer friends. Because I wouldn't even show my friends that I was taking insulin when we were going out and things like that it was it was quite hidden at the time and then talking to my wife was the first time I'd really expressed or the 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 how the diabetes really affects me and 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 what I need to do to control it and and elements like that but then it was probably it was probably only five years ago that I started talking about it maybe 2016 actually uh, where I started talking about it openly and it was triathlon that actually got me talking about it um, because triathlons there's lots of inspirational or well yeah it's inspirational people in and around triathlon or let's call it an Ironman community where they do this crazy long triathlon um, and people find themselves and and I think that's what I kind of did I realized that there was a community here where I could help them understand that diabetes doesn't have to stop you doing things previously I'd done things and just not told people I had diabetes so I learned to skydive and I didn't tell anyone which was a stupid thing to do but I was too afraid I was too afraid somebody would reject me and not allow me to do what I was wanting to do, even though I knew the boundaries, knew the, knew how to manage it, knew what to look for, knew how to knew knew what blood sugars needed to be before we went up in the aeroplane, knew knew all of those things. That fear that somebody would take the opportunity away from me stopped me from talking about it. And then the triathlon journey really, really started to open my eyes that actually this is nothing more than just an opportunity to help people understand that it's not. It's difficult to live with, but I have controls. I can living healthily is, is directly in my focus. I have no choice but to think about my health every single day. And I look at many people around the world now, globally, in in my office even, that don't take health seriously. And that and that's across many places I've been in the last five, five or six years. And that theme really started to resonate a lot and how I could help people become healthier and how I could share my story that hopefully that they would grab hold of and say, Do you know what, this isn't impossible. 
we can do this. We just need to make some basic changes um, or look at things slightly with a slightly different lens, and which is often the way I try to look at the world. I love that. There's so much within there that you said that's inspiring and I have so many questions. And the first thing is that telling someone about diabetes versus jumping out of a plane was more frightening to you. <laughs> that, well, that's one observation. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it, so it wasn't, it, it, I, I mean, I do manage, I manage risk a lot. So I'm continually looking at where is, where is the, where's the risk is, that's no longer controllable in my current abilities or skill sets and I just felt that I could control my 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 diabetes well enough that I didn't need to tell anyone for the sake of you know 12 years ago learning to skydive diabetes was still one of those things where the doctors would reject you never mind the actual skydiving zones so I chose to do something I don't advise anyone to do and I would never advocate this again is that I just didn't tell anybody and I ticked the other box on the form mm. and I carried on because, and that was driven not because I was afraid of telling people, I was afraid of the fear of not being allowed to do it. Yeah. There's and, nothing and, being worse than someone telling, you no. I even saw that in my son when he was four or five years mm. old, he was afraid that he would be, of course, for a child being left out or someone to tell you no, or as a parent, someone to tell your kid no when you know that they're able and healthy yeah. and they can do it, there's nothing more infuriating. So so I get that. But yes, if you're listening, you don't have to tell everybody, but I think on a need-to-know basis, like if you're, uh, your child's going to university and they have a roommate, your roommate should probably know that they have type 1 and kind of how to help if needed, or if you are doing something like skydiving, you know, if, you know, there's a hypo or hyper, or I'm not sure, skydiving, I assume blood sugars go up from adrenaline. You you could get a mixture of both, really. But what, what I would, in my new way of thinking in the world, I'd advocate not not telling anybody and, and being open with as many people as you possibly can be. Because what my realization from all of this is there are no real boundaries to what we can do. Now, there are, you know, there are things that becoming a an airline pilot, clearly there are things we can't absolutely fully control. And being in control of the lives of 250 people for eight hours is something that we can't absolutely say we have full control over. So fair enough, we can't become commercial airline pilots. However, jumping out of an airplane, which takes 15 minutes from top to bottom, where we have controllable variables we there is no reason not to talk to somebody and tell them because we are allowed to actually do it we just need to make sure that we tick all the right boxes and we talk to the right people and they and they are comfortable that we know what we're doing and 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 i the fears i had should never have existed they or they shouldn't exist today certainly the, the world has moved on in the in terms of the diabetes space in terms of what people are able to do now there are diabetics that are skydiving good ones at that yeah i would say yeah don't don't lie yeah <laughs> I, should no, ne- I, should ne- I should i should never have done it and i'm telling people about it more because not because i think it was the right thing to do is more because I want to talk about the fear that I that existed within me that was looking back. It was like, you idiot. Why? <laughs> That's the stupidest thing. But it was real at the time. It was really real. And I felt the reality of it. But really, when I think back and think about what I was doing and, and where I was at the time, it was like, if I'd have just had people to talk to, I, I might have done something different. I might have managed the situation differently. And and that's what I would advocate now as a diabetic, type one or type two, is to talk to a confidant, whether it's a coach, whether it's a, a, a another diabetic mentor, whether it's your doctor, whether it's your endocrinologist, parents, your brothers, sisters, whatever, your best friends, talk about it. And 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 those fears will often fall by the wayside as you get to see the as the world opens up to you instead of being so narrowly focused, which is what tended to happen to me in those times. I was so focused on 
just becoming a skydiver. I ignored all of the things that I should have been thinking about and risk managing, mm. um, which is what this is about. It's about we're managing we're risk managing a condition for the rest of our life. Um, wow. So talking to people would have helped me do that. And I just didn't see it at the time. I just wish I'd have seen it at the time differently. But now mm. talking about it. Amazing. So how did you get involved <clears throat> in triathlons? Ah, so I... I, we moved to Singapore um, and I started a new job. We lived, uh, Singapore's really awkward. You have to get, so where we lived, we had to get a bus journey from the condo to the train station, then the train to the to the office. Now, for most people, that would feel like that's not a problem. However, when you've grown up and lived all your life driving door to door, it becomes, oh, this is difficult. And I met one of the guys at the office who rode to work, cycled. So I started cycling from home to the office. Uh, the guy that was in the office cycled in a cycling team. Um, I got to join the cycling team. And one day through a contact I met in the cycling team, I went for a ride with a guy who had an Ironman tattoo. This was February 2016. Um, I remember it vividly. We were at petrol station in a place called Pungal in Singapore. And I said to him, oh, where did you do your Ironman? I'm really interested. And he goes, oh, you know, started talking about it. He goes, oh, my wife and I are going to Putrajaya in Malaysia in eight weeks time. You should come along. I'm like, what? He goes, oh, yeah, you'd be fine. I said, you think I'm fit enough? And he goes, yeah, yeah, you'd be fine. It was a half Ironman distance. So it's 70.3 miles of swim, bike, and run. So not being particularly detail-orientated, I just went, oh, okay then. So I went home, spoke to my wife and said, well, we're going to do a half Ironman. I bear in mind I'd not swim for probably 12 years. That was my first question because all the iron men and women that I know, it's the swimming that's the, the biggest challenge. That was my yeah, first question. It, were you swimming a lot? No, okay. I, I hadn't. We had a fifty. We had a fifty-meter pool in our condo, and I hadn't swam in it. And we'd been there a year. Oh. Um, <laughs> I hadn't swam for maybe twelve or fifteen years, maybe even longer. And I'd never really swam. I went to the pool with my friends, and we played in the water. I, I remember swimming fifty meters once and being so out of breath that I had to get out. And this then became an eight-week. Oh, we have to figure out how we're going to go from zero to swimming two kilometers. So I started going down into the pool to start swimming. Uh, I have a video somewhere where I'm practicing my kick. So I have a kickboard in front of me and I'm actually kicking and going backwards. Um, that was quite amusing because that should never happen. Yeah, I don't even know how that works. Um, it's something to do with stiff ankles. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to try to do it yeah I'm I'll really curious I'll, I'll send you the video uh, oh my goodness. It's, really, it's 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 quite amusing and then I did my first ever open water swimming uh, practice with the two people that I was going with and uh, it was across a beach that was 500 meters long and this beach had two coves inside and uh, so if I describe it, it kind of one straight line and then two kind of half moon coves um, and we started swimming and I got my head down and the next thing I'm touching sand. I'm like, wow, how am I that fast? So I then looked up and what I'd done is I'd started going straight and immediately turned left without oh. looking. And I'd swam back into more or less where I'd started. <laughs> and I was kind of going, well, okay, this is going to be a challenge. I'm not quite sure how we're going to do this. So then I swam. I then start for the next seven weeks. I started swimming three times a week in the in the ocean because it was near to my work, to where my office was, um, and I swam twice a week in the swimming pool as well, just to try and figure out how I make it two kilometers without dying. And then, literally about four days before the event, the two people that the whole reason I was going there for, they pulled out and left left me and no. me and my wife to go alone. I knew nobody there. Uh, I had no idea what to expect. I literally was, I, I was holding, I was using this guy to hold his hand really to figure out what to do. So then it was a case of, okay, I need to really work on this. 
and got thrown into the deep end and we made an almighty amount of mistakes was, you know i remember looking I, i've got the pictures actually i was looking at them the other day um and we've got pictures of my bike and uh, i've said this i think mentioned this to you before now i'll do a half iron man and i'll maybe eat two or three jelly sweets um just to keep my blood sugars afloat and i'll have some electrolytes i had 60 seeded grape uh, dates in my under my seat um i had six bottles of water uh with electrolytes and carbohydrates in the bottles um and i was only riding 90 kilometers so it's two hours 45 minutes and um i had some other things on my bike as well it was the heaviest thing in the world and i don't think i put my hands into the dates once so it's kind of okay that's another lesson and then it was there was the half marathon run afterwards and that was you know it, it was roughly 38 degrees and 75 percent humidity and i'd not really experienced those conditions at midday before and in after doing that kind of level of exercise so i ended up walking um a lot of the way and then ended up on a drip after the event to try and rehydrate because I was being sick and I almost passed out. My blood sugars were fine. And it was one of those experiences. I said to my wife after, I'm never doing this ever again, selling my bike. So what I did is we got home. I sold my bike. I bought a new one and I registered for an Ironman in the December of the same year. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't give up. We carried on. We realized we made it. We made a few mistakes. We learned a whole load of lessons in terms of how to manage uh, tension, anxiety, uh, glucose, uh, blood sugar with that anxiety. Yeah. And gone on leaps and bounds since then. And we've, we've actually started to really achieve things from an athletics perspective. Uh, I would never have called myself an athlete in my past life. I was a footballer at best, not the best one in the world, but an okay one, a soccer, if you're American. Oh, football. We're um, here. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, I, then things started to get extreme. So we did the full Ironman in December 2016, uh, where a full Ironman is four kilometer swim. It's a 180 kilometer bike ride. And then it's a, a marathon. Um, and we, we achieved a really good time um, for a first timer. So 10 hours, 30. 37 minutes i think it was um, so yeah so a fub a sub for our marathon off a 35 kilometer an hour bike ride and that for 180 kilometers and my swim actually wasn't that bad it was only an hour and 15 minutes oh Bearing my goodness in, mind, in the february in the in the half ironman it took me 55 minutes to finish two mm. kilometers i then did a full ironman swim in one hour 15 uh, so the hot, the progress was incredible. Um, and then we really start to see that endurance was possible and going longer. It started with the bike, really. Um, I, I was, we were personal friends with a guy who had done a race called Race Across America, uh, which is 5,000 mm -hmm. kilometers, 55,000 meters of climbing, and you do it in 12 days min mm. maximum. Um, and we started riding together and going on 200, 300 kilometer rides. Then a small group of us did what we called the Vision Quest 1500, which was raising money for a Vision Quest um, from somewhere to Phuket. Uh, and I can't remember the place now. I'll remember it sometime. A reasonable destination. Was, and that was 1500 kilometers. And we did that in five days, five and a half days. And then we, the next one was we did an ultra triathlon. Um, so we went to Australia and we did a three-day triathlon, uh, which culminated in a 10-kilometer swim, a 145-kilometer bike ride on day one. Then day two was a 275-kilometer bike ride. And then day three was two marathons back-to-back. -back. Um, I was third last coming out of the water and then sixth fastest coming off the bike. So it's kind of like, Swimming things can shift <laughs> in a triathlon because yeah it's yeah i think i mean there's so many things exciting about triathlons and especially ultra ones and iron man and things change so quickly it's not about like who's in first or last and 
I using the term loosely, like ran a marathon. And once I I told my son when he was really, really small and he says, mommy, did you win? I was like, (laughs) like, definitely not. If anything, I finished last place because I got injured on the way and the whole other things, you know, that happen the first time you do something. But yeah. the thing I love about it, it's so exciting. And and you you mentioned mistakes, but actually those are just learning curves <sighs> and you know, better to be over prepared than to be not prepared and have to yeah. to drop out and you just learn yeah. something new every time, I guess. De- definitely. And so something that links back to my diabetes, but also links back to the sport, probably. Um, it's probably easier to describe to people, is I'm a big believer in reflection. Mistakes happen. Mistakes are mistakes. And, you know, we're all going to make them. We can't protect everybody or anybody from a mistake. All we can do is make sure that we reflect on the things that the actions that we've done in the past and think about, could we done them of any better? Could we have done them any better? Or is there anything we could have done differently? Are there any skills? Are there any, is there any knowledge we could have understood, taken on board so we could move progress? Um, and that's all I've really done is just thought back after after everything I do, I think back about what I learned um, and what I learned about the experience. And, and <clears throat> I have this thing, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a reflection framework. And I look at learning from four different perspectives. So how am I thinking about the situation? Uh, that's my first reflection point. My second reflection point were what were my behaviors on that in that particular period when I'm working around that action then the, the the third part of that reflection is around what was my environment like was i in the right environment for that thing that i was doing and then at the fourth part of that reflection phase is did i have the right tools to do the job that i wanted to do and then what naturally comes out of that reflection upon reflection on action we'll call it is that there generally comes themes that fall out the outside that say, these are what you need to do next because you'll have new insights because you're thinking about it from an internal perspective, an external perspective, a hard perspective. And often what people fail to do, they fail to represent well, what were, what was in my control. How was I thinking about the situation, which is where most of the time things go wrong because we get so stressed out and so hyper-focused on one thing, we lose sight of all the other things and that, and that can be represented into diabetes as well. And I think how we manage and how we think about control, whether it's about insulin management, whether it's about calorie management, whether it's about carbohydrate management, whether it's about stress, exercise, holidays, whatever it might be, um, we can learn lots of lessons. And you learn to do it quicker and quicker over time. So now I don't write anything down. I just think yeah. it through. Um, I love that. Happens. I wrote it down, like even for myself, I'm like, this is amazing. So to, yeah. to think about it and reflect and I mean, yeah, mistakes or learning opportunities, you know, mm. cause sometimes if we say mistake, some people can really beat themselves up. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. And even as a parent, sometimes trying to, you know, it can be like an exam or something and just looking at it holistically rather than you know, what, just only what happened or the, the final outcome, because there's a yeah. whole process to, to take in. Yeah. And I, I tend also not try I try not to think about the why of a situation. So why did I do that? Because that doesn't really help me. It just takes me into a spiral of negativity. Um, so what I'm actually looking at is what happened and what could I do differently next time? Um, what was I thinking at that particular time? Um, what are the things in my control that I can deal with? So, for example, the environment of a triathlon. I can't necessarily change the environment of the triathlon. I've, I could, well, I could choose a different race, but I can't necessarily change that environment of that particular race. No, um, and weather can change, especially on the swim. Water yeah. and all kinds of things yeah. can happen, right? Yeah. So that's where we go. Yes, it was a thinking part. It's a part to reflect on. There's nothing I could do. Move on. And, and, then, and then you take ownership for things and and that's when change really happens for you and it's certainly that's what's happened with my diabetes as well it's i've taken ownership of helping the world become a better place with diabetes in it because i don't think we're getting away with this anytime soon 
I don't think there are there are potential cures and, and things that people are talking about. You know, there's some studies in Australia about stem cells and, you know, uh, rather than pancreas replacements and stuff like that. But I'd, I, I, I'd let the scientists deal with that. And yeah. Those of us who, is, who are either connected to somebody with diabetes or we have diabetes manage what we can control, which is the food we put in our mouth, the amount of insulin we put in our body and the amount of exercise we do that surrounds it and the amount of stress that we add into that idea. Yeah, um, I love that. They're, they're the things we can control. Exactly. And I always, it's, it's always heartbreaking too when someone's first diagnosed or a child is first diagnosed because the first thing that happens is the mom or the parents are looking for the cure. <laughs> Is yep. there a cure? What's in the research? And there's a lot of good, like you said, stem cell research and other things that are happening. And even someone reached out recently, their second child was diagnosed with type one and they're asking about stem cell research, you know, should they do something? And it's still too soon, even though there's been massive improvements mm. and kind of, I decided very early on in my son's diagnosis that our philosophy would be, yeah, we would love a cure. Who wouldn't? Everybody would, but we have this today and we're going to live to the fullest today and do everything that we can while with it or without it, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it does require more attention and it demands attention actually. Yeah. But it's not going to stop us from doing anything, and we're going to learn how to to live with it and work it into into our life. Otherwise, then you're not really living if you're just waiting for the cure. That that's it. And I think how best to describe this without sounding like it's not something to worry about because it it can be. I think diabetes isn't the death sentence it was perceived to be many many years ago. Um, I I. I had uh, my parents knew some people with diabetes, you know, in the 30s and 40s, and the the prognosis for them was horrific. Mm-hmm. The prognosis for, for even me, who was diagnosed 30 years ago, where technology and the way we deliver insulin and the types of insulin has changed dramatically. Even my prognosis is still quite long, you know, 70s, and I'm all right with that. Now, people die being diagnosed in this time management systems are so good why would life be any different yeah I'm so glad you said that because I mean in getting to do a podcast now it just exasperates it even more I have Mm -hmm. met the most amazing people because of diabetes and they're doing the most amazing things and especially when it comes to athletics it's almost like it's kind of the secret weapon because you have another indicator that you know when you're achieving kind of optimal performance, when you're eating well, sleeping well, and all of those things. But like you said, there is no reason that it should stop anyone because we have all these examples, yourself included Mm -hmm. before us, that are doing these superhuman things that people without diabetes are are not able to do. So it's such a, it's, it's a challenging diagnosis, no doubt. I'm not trying to oversimplify it and there's a lot to deal with but there's also a very happy ending to the story should i say yeah absolutely and i think you, you what you're doing is from from a from a dire point perspective i think the world needs more of it because we need to make more connections to help diabetics and diabetic families at whatever age people are diagnosed from because, you know, I've got a friend here that was diagnosed at 20, uh, sorry, 30, and he's 37. He's got a wife and two kids. The two kids don't understand. So there are lots of understanding elements that need to happen. And, and I think the more communication we do to help people settle, because it's easy to become hyper-stressed about a situation. And, 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 you know, I'm sure we can all think back to a time where we've made a mountain out of a molehill. And I know that. That's a gross oversimplification of diabetes, but we often make a mountain out of a molehill. Yeah, that and that's it. And this is where I think great conversations with both peers of diabetes, parents, parents and parent peers with diabetes and coaches like you, that can really help and support people become more in tune 
with their diabetes and really bring their their management to the forefront yeah it's so, so it's about tricky. then managing managing the alarms and figuring out what what alarms work best for when for everybody in the house um, yeah so i want to jump to then november's coming and yeah. you know i have this i have a lot of feelings around the month of november because for you for my son and everyone else living with diabetes diabetes is every day we don't need a special month to remind us about it but it's a great time to do advocacy education talk about it get people thinking about it in different ways and you have and actually the reason we met someone sent me your video you have a very interesting exciting thing that you're doing in the month of november and so can you tell us some more about that please yeah um so we're going to do a crazy ultra triathlon um over three days and the reason we're doing it is because i met or we've met i met originally a parent who was having those troubles we've just talked about not sleeping son wasn't particularly caring about his situation um, and and I, and I wanted to i want to find a way that we can create a community of young diabetics that can talk and share experiences and you know so, so they don't feel the stigma of diabetes and i wanted uh, to create a community of parents as well that could share their their strains and stresses and their worries that you know their 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 bloodline might get sick um from 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 a complication so and then it was about creating communication structures that helped people manage the stress of diabetes and actually help them give each other more control with less control so through providing autonomy and frameworks they actually were more comfortable with each other and the way each other were managing a situation and one of the ways we thought we would try and do that is we would try and do something that was <clears throat> was a bit crazy. So we're going to do an ultra triathlon on the 18th, 19th and 20th of um, November. It started out actually, the, the event started out as a biking, a bike race. We we're going to create a, a group of cyclists that were just diabetics. Um, I met three, uh, two guys here and a few other people um, in Singapore and Australia and a lady here as well. And then uh, we just go went, well, why don't we just do a triathlon and make it an ultra triathlon? So on the 18th, we're swimming 11 kilometers um, on the, uh, in, on, in the ocean. So we'll start at Dubai Offshore Sailing Club and we'll swim out to the World Islands and then we'll swim back and we'll swim a little bit up and down the coast just to finish the 11 Ks, so up towards the canal and back, uh, probably not that far. Then we'll head up to Al Qudra and we'll do 100 kilometers of cycling. Then we'll go home for some rest. And then the next day on the 19th, we'll do what they call the coast to coast, which is an organized bicycle race from Sharjah to um, Alaka. And uh, it's 215 kilometers. And there's quite That'll, an elevation there from what I understand uh, as well. It's yeah, not flat. Well, no, no. It's so between uh, Shoka, between uh, Red Rock or yeah, uh, what do they call it? Um, Fossil, Rock Fossil Rock and and Calba, there are quite a few mountains. So the total elevation will be about 1,500 meters. 1600 meters um over 215k so it's, it's relatively flat as a cycle ride but there is a portion of the ride that's quite hilly um, which makes it difficult because it's right in the middle um uh, then on day three we are going to run four marathons so we're going to run 168.8 kilometers and our original plan for this was we we're going to run so we we're going to cycle to alaka and then we we're going to run back um, but beca it became a logistical nightmare because the roads aren't really safe for traveling at such a slow speed. And the, uh, the fact that we want to make a big deal out of this to build awareness around Diabetes Awareness Month and helping diabetics around the community idea, we thought, why take that kind of risk? Why don't we do it somewhere where people can get involved and we can keep it within local communities as well? So. We're going to run the first marathon in the springs, 
the meadows and the lakes area. We're going to run the second marathon around JLT, JBR, Marina, a bit on the Palm. Then we're going to run the third marathon um, around uh, the beach area and up toward, uh, sorry, Albasha, the beach. So there'll be a bit of crossing over that we'll do. Um, and then we'll do the fourth marathon around Nadal Sheba and Business Bay. Um, what, uh, sorry, downtown. What we'd really love to do is when we finish the, the run, we would, it would be amazing if we could have the Diabetes Awareness Month ribbon or our logo on the Burj Khalifa. Burj Khalifa, also people, like, if you're listening. Yeah, absolutely. Please help. Who can help? <laughs> MR. Um, MR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think they have a lot to do with that. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And through the whole event, we're, we, there are three words that really pull all of this together. And the first one is, is, is community. The second one is communication. And the third one is health. So we want to build a, a big community that communicate really well together in and around being healthy for diabetes. And we're taking those three words quite seriously in the event. So we're all at different levels um, in terms of sports fitness. So Adam Holt and I are the two type one diabetics and we, we have another person that's doing it with us. We're all at different levels from a sporting perspective. And we've said that there are two rules. One, be honest when you can't carry on. Don't drag us all down. If you really can't finish and you're just procrastinating, be honest, make the difficult decision. And the second rule is, as long as we can keep going, we're all staying together. And we're going to communicate. We're going to live healthy together for three days. Amazing. Um, keep that whole ethos together and and hopefully from that people will get and people will understand the message that we're trying to get out there that it's okay to talk about diabetes it's okay to tell people you have diabetes diabetes doesn't create a boundary for you in 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 anything or certainly most things um and there are people there to talk to if you want to talk to people as well uh, so yeah that's kind of what we're doing uh, the the run is is the is the difficult bit. We won't have the day one and day two will be relatively, one for a better word, easy. But day three is a complete unknown. We don't actually know. We've the furthest any of us have ever run is a hundred kilometers. Yeah. Um, so we have. So whilst one hundred and sixty four marathons, you know, in my in my head is oh, okay just get through the first one, then we'll do the second one and then we'll do the third one and be okay. Mm -hmm. Then I think about how I felt after the two marathons I ran together and think, wow, now I'm going to run another two. <laughs> and I'm trying, I've had to, I've had to spend time thinking about how I'm going to get those thoughts out of my head because, and, and I had another guy who was thinking about doing it with us and he just said, he just couldn't conceptualize what it was going to be like. And I kept saying to him, don't, because we can't, figure it out it's impossible we'll only know when we experience it for the first mm -hmm. time and that's why the community piece is so important because when we desperately need each other we're going to be there for each other because we have no idea what's around the corner and that's just like diabetes especially when you've been newly diagnosed you don't know what's around the corner and you need a group of people with you who can help and support you along that really scary journey um, which it really is. It's scary when you're trying out new things and you've never heard of it before and all that kind of stuff. So that, that's where we're trying to get to. And we'd like it to become something for the future. We'd like to carry on doing crazy things after this as well. And well, not crazy things. I just think things that people have with diabetes have quite rightly able to do. It's, you know, all I need to do differently to a normal person is manage my blood sugar. My body, still work, my body still works the same in terms of yeah. my feet still go the same speed my yeah you know, the I, joints your yeah the feet and yeah. knees and all of that but all, that all is an amazing 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 vision and we'll put as much as we can that we have now in the links in the show notes and then i think as more details roll out 
because I'm sure that there's people that would love to, particularly on the run, the day of the run, come out, see you, um, be there, like we talked, mm. maybe run with you for a bit um, and, and whatever else that we can do to get people out to support. So as much information as we can, we'll put it out in the show notes or yep. we'll put it out um, in other ways on the Die Point website yeah. and social oh. media as it develops. I'll, I'll give you the, uh, I'll share with you the, um, the, the route, the running route that we've planned, because what would be absolutely amazing for anybody that's listening, um, if we could get a number of di- uh, type one diabetic kids to come along and do some portions of the run with us, um, where we can share experiences, we could talk to each other, we can answer any questions they've got even if their parents want to come along as well and do the running with them and we can create a real community around it, it certainly won't be a fast run. Um, it could be a run walk. And yeah, we, that would be incredible. That would be inspiring for us to help us get through the run at the same time as we're hopefully hope, uh, hopefully going to help people change their lives. That would be amazing. And actually, as you've been talking about it, even though I heard about it before, and now I have a few other people that I want to reach out to that see if they can get involved. And then I think they'd, they'd love to support and they'd be interested. It's, it's truly amazing and it's inspiring. And I think it also gives us so much hope for the future and just what's possible. Nothing, nothing is impossible. If you're doing, if you're doing all, all of these things with diabetes, there's nothing that's impossible. I, I just, th- I, I think about it when it comes to, me as a body taking thinking about me being in well, how's, how do I best describe this because you use the commercial airline pilot as a description before is something that's probably not possible because you risk the risk of you having a problem um and that in falling onto impacting lives yeah. is 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 something that we, we we have to accept that we can't we just can't this unless things change this we just can't do those things um, but where it's where it's me and it's I'm in control and I'm taking the risks for me as my body then I manage those things and there are no boundaries I, don't, I honestly don't see that there are boundaries in that re, in that realm I just need to make sure that I have the team of people around me who are so my wife in my ultraman ultra triathlon before my wife would be constantly checking my blood sugar for me and throwing me snickers bars or mars bars as she was seeing the trending going down so we were continually working together as a team to manage so yeah we're just managing managing and yeah i just can't get i just can't stress enough this piece about there is nothing in the way of living a normal life there's just a few other a few other bits that you need to do yeah amazing Well, thank you so much for joining me for this hour so that we've had a chance to learn more about you, about your amazing athletic abilities, but also the wisdom that you brought to us, I think is, is something so important for people to listen to and understand. And I hope that if you are in Dubai or in the UAE, that you can come out for one of these days or all of them, the 18th, 19th, 20th. You can look to the Diapoint site for um, where to find more information about that. We'll be sharing it. Um, also, we'll have Nick's social media links in the show notes as well. So you can follow Nick. Or if you have any questions, drop us an email at info at diapointme.com. And we will send um, pass all of that on directly to Nick so you can, can follow up with him. And we're just, we're happy to be a part of this journey. We're, we're so excited and we're looking forward to it. I must say, just to, to kind of from my perspective, meeting you is the best thing that's happened to this challenge as well. And this, in, in this, this thing that we want to do, we finally met someone that actually has the health of the diabetes community at the center of what they do. And that to us as a, as a set of athletes is really, really important. So we want to thank you as well for, for, for coming along on the journey with us. Oh, thank and, you. You know, being part now of that's really, process. that's, that's really special <clears throat> because that, that is why we, why I do what I do. And that is why Diapoint does what it does. And sometimes I can't believe the people that have joined my team, but 
because that that is what we do. First and foremost, we you know want to help people, we want to support people. We want people to be inspired and and do all of these things that they were told weren't possible with diabetes. I mean it 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 baffles me how many people still even though we have all of these success stories but people still see it as something they should hide or something that they can't do the things that they love doing because of it. So we're just really happy to be a part of it. Thank you for that. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learning more about Nick Glover and all the things that he's been able to accomplish and all the things that he's planning to accomplish. We are so looking forward to supporting him throughout this challenge in November and As he shares the routes and the details of the plans with us, we will also share those on the, um, on Diapoint social media, and we'll add those links back later to this podcast as well. And we'll keep you up to date on all the details as they roll out. I want to again, thank Nick for joining us and sharing his insight and wisdom and his vision for people with diabetes. If you've been listening to the podcast and you've been enjoying it, Please leave us a review on your favorite podcast channel. This really helps us to continue doing what we're doing. I also want to always remind everyone, if you hear about someone managing their diabetes a certain way in an interview that we do, please don't forget to go ask your doctor about your specific diabetes management. As we all know, no two people with diabetes are alike, and sometimes what works for one person may not work for another person. Anytime before you are going to start doing sports, or if you're planning to do a really super challenging endurance challenge, please check in with your medical team so that they can give you the advice and support that you need as you do this. Don't forget to surround yourself with people who are supportive and can be there with you on the way.